guys. Welcome to Same Team. I am your host, Daniel Trainer. How are you? Thank you very much for listening. Uh, recording this, as you can probably tell, with a bit of a scratch in my throat. I apologize for that, although I do think I sound kind of nice, so maybe I should get sick more often, but I'll do anything for this podcast. So here we are. Thanks for listening. A great episode today. Uh, Eric Lucian is on the show. Eric was a openly gay kicker at the University of Nebraska, who has since gone on to do a lot of really wonderful things that we get into on the podcast. He started an organization called LGBT Sports Safe, where he goes around uh, ensuring that different athletic departments and schools are doing things to make their campuses safe and habitable and welcoming to LGBTQ athletes and students. It's really great stuff. We start the conversation by talking specifically about an article that Eric wrote earlier this year. The University of Nebraska, who in and of itself are going through some tough times in their football department, uh, earlier this year, prior to the season, hired Ron Brown. Ron Brown was a former assistant at Nebraska when Eric was there. Ron Brown, back in 2012, made some awful bigoted anti-gay remarks uh, that got him in some hot water, but not really. And this summer, uh, Nebraska decided to bring him back as their director of player development, which is a scary title for somebody with views like that. Eric and I get into that a lot. Eric wrote a piece for Outsports about it. You should check that out. It's an interesting conversation about losing a little bit of faith in an institution that you love, but also wanting to do everything that you can to protect it and make it better moving forward. So I really enjoyed chatting with Eric. I appreciate his time. I appreciate you listening. So let's get this gravelly voice out of here and get into the conversation. This is my chat with Eric Lucian. Well, thanks, Eric. I appreciate you doing this, and uh, it's been a long time coming. I'm, I'm excited to chat. Me too, me too. Cool. So uh, you're actually from Nebraska, is that correct? Yes, I am. I'm from a small farm community in northeast Nebraska called Pierce, Nebraska. So what was it like growing up in Pierce, Nebraska? Um, there was the positives and negatives. Uh, positives, I would say, it, growing up in a tiny community like that instilled some some good Midwestern uh, values and ethics and, and stuff in me. Um, negatives, it, it was very close-minded, um, extremely conservative in its viewpoints. There was extreme lack of diversity. So that level of inclusiveness wasn't even, there, there was, it's almost non-existent because, I mean, you first have to have diversity and then figure out inclusion from there. Sure. So there was, uh, extreme lack of diversity there. Um, being the first openly gay person in my town as a junior in high school uh, was a big issue. So it was it wasn't easy um, growing up in small town Nebraska for for a lot of those those reasons. So junior year in high school, did you make the decision to come out? What was that process like? Uh, it was difficult. I mean, I was always made fun of for being gay long before I even knew what gay was. Yeah, sure. Um, I was bullied pretty relentlessly at school and I had a very troubled home life as well. Um, and so for, for me, I was always the kind of person who I was like, if someone's going to choose to take one small part of my multitude of identities and use that against me, they weren't really worth my time and they should love me for who I am at a much deeper level for my you know, morals, my values, my ethics, my character. 
and that my sexuality is not something that defines me. So I kind of just set out as like, well, this is who I am. You're either going to love me or you're not. And if you don't, well, I don't have time to deal with your, you know, lack of um, love or acceptance. I'm going to continue to be myself and be proud of who I am. It wasn't an easy decision by any means because, of course, you know, being bullied and not really having a, a solid home life at that time. Yeah. Um, it, it was very difficult to come out, but I couldn't see any other way besides being my authentic self at the time. Even though I had no role models to look up to, I knew of no one in sports, especially at the time who was openly gay, and I knew of no one in or around the community in Northeast Nebraska that was openly gay. So I don't know. It was just I had to be me. There was no other way about it. And I think had I not made that decision to come out at that time, I wouldn't be alive today because I struggled severely with mental health at that time mm -hmm. um, and was in and out of the suicide ward a couple times for, you know, attempted suicide because I was struggling so much at, at my home life um, and at school and then trying to come to terms with my own sexuality it was just led me down a deep, dark path of severe depression. So, I mean... That's one thing I always like to hit on because I know we're talking right now, it's October 12th and yesterday was National Coming Out Day and the day yep. before that was National Mental Health Awareness Day. So I think it, it it's not by coincidence that National Mental Health Day and um, National Coming Out Day kind of go hand in hand right after each other yeah, because sure. anyone who struggled with their sexual orientation or gender identity has dealt with mental health at some point in their life or still does. So um, I always like to, to speak to that, to try and, you know, break down some of the stigma around mental health, because I think every single person in their lifetime struggles with it. So, yeah, absolutely. So what role are sports playing in your life during this part? You know, you, you're going through so much. What you know, where does sports fit in when you're in high school? Well, sports was always kind of my solace and. It's really the great equalizer, I feel. It doesn't matter what identities you carry. Um, if you can play, you can play. And uh, that's, I was blessed, I guess, to have some natural abilities and talents um, in the realm of sports. And so when I went out on the field or in practice or on the court or anything, um, I could go out there as Eric the athlete and not Eric the, the gay kid or Eric the band geek or Eric the nerd or all the other multitude of identities that I carried, yeah. I was out there as the athlete and I was achieving great things and proving um, kind of my self-worth. And so when others were seeing that, oh, here's this kid who we make fun of for being gay or for this or for that, um, beating us in all these different realms of athletics or in sport, that kind of, I think, opened their eyes a little bit yeah. to to kind of look at their own bias and their own judgments and kind of be very introspective of why they have those fears um, and are those fears warranted or unwarranted. Um, so it was sports kind of played a huge role and because in some ways kind of my saving grace at the time, it was one area in my life besides music um, and animals. I'd say music, animals, and sports were the three things that really carried me through some of the roughest years of my life um, as a teenager and adolescent. So did it was extremely big for me. Did you ever think about 
allowing your sexuality to sort of impede your athletic aspirations? I mean, when you were thinking about going to college, taking things to the next level, were you scared? Did you think about not even doing it because of, of how difficult it might be for you? That is a very good question, and I have rarely gotten that question, so I commend you for pulling that one. Oh, thank you, Eric. <laughs> you know, this is where people come for the hard-hitting stuff. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, there was, I would say, a slight reservation at some point about, you know, how difficult will this be? Um, is this something that's good for my own mental health, I guess? Like, can I survive this much? Yeah. You know, backlash. I mean, this was like I started college in 2003. That was before marriage equality. That was before, you know, a lot of federal protections out there for LGBTQ people in this mm -hmm. country. And at a time where it just wasn't accepted in, in sports or, you know, larger society, like the viewpoints weren't near as inclusive as we are now. So, yeah, there were some reservations. But at the same time, I had such a love and a passion for sport. And um, I just loved the competition. I I couldn't see myself walking away from that huge core identity that I that I carry, and um, that's where I feel so many young LGBTQ athletes, or even you know some that are now in college or in the pros that may be closeted or open, struggle so much with sharing their identity, mm -hmm. um, is because they don't want to be pushed out of sport um, because of that identity, and that identity is. Huge. A huge identity that they carry. I, I talk with a lot of LGBTQ athletes in college and and pro now, and a lot of them, you know, say that they don't want to be labeled as the the gay football player or right. the lesbian soccer player or so, so on or so forth. They just want to be the soccer player, the yeah. football, the basketball player. You know, they don't want that identity to outshine all their others because in reality. Why should it? It shouldn't really be an issue. Right. Um, so that's why I'm so blessed to now work in a space where I'm working towards building more inclusive athletic communities so that everyone and all their identities can be accepted um, for, for who they are and in their authentic self. Yeah, I mean, that's so important. And, and you can speak to this probably better than I can. But I've you know talked on this podcast with people all the time about the decision about coming out in college or, uh, you know, when, whenever somebody decides to come out, because like you said, you want to just be respected as an athlete or you want to be respected as a journalist. You want to be respected whenever you're doing. And I think there's so much added pressure that comes with being the gay athlete, because if you do come out, you, you probably are the gay athlete in a sport, at a school, in a league, whatever it might be. So hopefully we're getting to that point now with this stuff that you're doing, which we'll talk about in a little bit, like where it isn't a thing and there is just a community. It's not the one it's, it's, it's a guy or a girl who comes out and joins a community. And I think we're sort of, we're getting to that point. Don't you think hopefully, I mean, slowly, but surely. Oh, I, I completely agree. I mean, you just look in the last five years, you know, with some of the prominent figures in pro sports who've come out, you know, Jason Collins, Abby Wambach, Michael Sam, Brittany Griner, Gus Kentworthy. And like, just by those elite athletes coming out, the younger athletes are seeing their likeness in them, mm -hmm. and they're feeling more comfortable sharing their true selves in their um, own athletic communities. And we're seeing an influx and kind of an exponential growth of athletes at young ages, um, in high school, grade school, middle school, college, even coming out and sharing their their truth with the world. And that's what's so beautiful is we've just seen so much more people learning to love and accept themselves wholly, but then also having a lot of our straight allies standing up in support 
of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. So it's um, we're seeing more and more acceptance and inclusion in and among sports. Yeah, it's and great. We'll continue. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. So when you made the decision to go to Nebraska, did you think about just wanting to flee the state? I mean, you stayed close to home. Did you think about going somewhere else and just you know, for lack of a better term, sort of starting over somewhere else? Or w- what was the rationale for staying in state? Yeah, um, I never, ever wanted to stay in state. <laughs> I never did. Like, that is the truth of the fact. Like, that is that is it. I, I said I need to get as far away from Nebraska as possible. Um, there was just so much hurt and pain around my um, childhood and adolescence and teenage years in the state of Nebraska I really did want to start over. I wanted a fresh start in a place and in a community where I could be more my authentic self and be accepted. Um, however, along the recruiting journey, um, like I looked at Arizona State, Fresno State, like, you know, more uh, like California, especially Fresno State, it's much more more liberal and progressive in, in some of its viewpoints. And so I looked at those places and what got me with Nebraska was um, – how much they wanted me not just as an athlete, but also as an um, academic scholar, mm-hmm. which was important to me. I was um, top of my class in high school and okay. going into college, I knew like I knew football was going to be difficult in and amongst itself, um, the time constraints and commitments and stuff with that. I, I'm, I was pretty positive with my work ethic that I would not slack in my studies. However, I was doing chemical engineering in undergrad, and I knew that was going to be difficult. So I figured if I slack, Nebraska's not going to let me. And I knew that um, one thing that really sold me about University of Nebraska was um, their athletic department. They have by far the most academic All-Americans uh-huh. among one and in the country. Notre Dame's like second, and I think they have like 60 or 70 below wow. um, the Huskers. So that really kind of sold me was their uh, their life skills program, their academic center, uh, and that they wanted me for more my holistic me. At least that's what I thought, like every part of my identity. Right. Uh, over, I think at that time I wasn't thinking how my sexual orientation was going to play a part and a factor of whether I see the field or not. Um, I just like the fact that they wanted me for my athleticism and my um, my my mind as well. Yeah, it's nice to be wanted from a, a well-rounded perspective. Yeah, and then also being you know growing up in Nebraska. Well, right. We I have, was going to say. I mean, it's you know, and also at the end of the day, it's Nebraska football. You know. Yeah, and and we don't have a pro sport or team there in Nebraska. So if you play Husker football, you were you were a god. In that I know. State, I was kind of crazy, but. That's just what it was. And growing up there, watching Husker football, there was that little pull towards, you know, I could be there. I could be doing that on that field in Memorial Stadium, you know, every Saturday. And that was a little enticing as well. Sure. Um, But honestly, I think it's the academics that that sold me and their life program. Yeah. So uh, you've written about your time in Nebraska uh extensively and very well i might add i mean everybody who's listening to this should go read what eric has written about his time at nebraska it's really extensive and very well done and i thought really sort of unlike anything i've read about you know being an an openly gay college athlete it's just it's really great but can you just you know briefly touch on what your experiences were like there yeah um I like to say my story is one of struggle, love, and acceptance. Those are three words that I think clearly hit on all areas. Um, yeah. Struggle, 
I had a lot of struggle because I was openly gay at a time where no one in athletics really was and in the sport of football. And so I was, I struggled to be accepted not only from my own teammates, but also, um, coaches and other athletes in the athletics department. I had a handful of homophobic teammates who made my life for the first year, especially the first six months, kind of a living hell. I was afraid um, for my life at times. Uh, there was physical altercations with some of them. I had a handful of coaches who made it known that I will never see the field because of um, my sexual orientation. Um, it was difficult. Even radio stations had talk shows about is Nebraska ready for an openly gay football player? They wouldn't mention my name, but it was about me. So it's so it wild, so so difficult in that regard. But I knew I couldn't be any anyone or anything um, besides myself, and so I was like, they're going to learn to love and accept me for who I am as a person, just by seeing me be human. I'm going to uh -huh. humanize myself. Is basically what I set out to do, which is kind of a weird concept to think about. Um, but that's really what I did, and. Through just being myself, I saw teammates transition from, or some teammates from very, very homophobic to some of the biggest supporters um, and friends uh, uh, that I that I met through my college career. Yeah, and that was what was so beautiful and seeing the hearts and minds of teammates, coaches, um, people within the within the athletics department and the college and really all over the, uh, the the country who were reaching out to me at the time because Facebook had kind of just came about at the time. Uh -huh. um, seeing their hearts and minds change um, and expand to being more loving and accepting of me and my sexual orientation was, was beautiful. Yeah. And so even though my story, like my football story was, is kind of a what could have been story because it ended with a spinal fusion. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give away too much because I want, I do think it, it is best if you hear the whole story or read it straight through. Yeah, um, I agree. Instead of getting the, the little snippets, but, um, my, my career ended with a spinal fusion and my goals and aspirations and being told that I would be in the NFL, um, were shattered. And so like you mentioned earlier in this podcast about uh, you, you asked if going into college I had reservations or anything about you know should I even play foot, um, a sport in college because of my sexual orientation um, and I talked about how I could not um, kind of I couldn't walk away from that athletic identity well here I was having a spinal fusion and having that identity ripped from me and after having so much struggle and so much pain and heartache with trying to just be myself and be accepted as an openly gay athlete in Husker football and then having sports ripped from me was extremely difficult and yeah. hard on my mental health and it really set me back in a lot of ways and it took me a number of years, um, I think five years almost exactly until I could even read uh, anything about sports online. Mm -hmm. I had set sever my relationships with some of my best friends in college and um i mean now i'm back into sports and stuff but it's just it it was very difficult so um that was kind of my my college experience it was one of struggle love and acceptance and one that kind of ended before it could have really begun but yeah all of that journey through sport um in college and also growing up, some of the hardships I faced has really, I, I, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world because I know 
that it's all it was all meant to happen the way it did because it has given me um, the stories and the experiences and the platform now to help inspire and motivate countless people um, not only within athletics but in greater society to just you know be better people and show up for everyone and all their differences and learn to open their heart and their mind um, and listen to other people's stories and mm -hmm. grow that empathy for those who are different than you and it's it's been one of the biggest blessings of my life is actually been going through some of the most difficult parts of my life because it's made me into who I am today and it's given me that platform to do what I do. I know it so, is it is interesting to think about what what happens to people if certain things don't fall the way that they do, right? I mean it's it's interesting yeah. to think about who you might be now had the injury not happened and and where you might be and who you who you would be. I mean it, it, you feel like such a sort of centered focused determined guy now and and i think what you're doing not that you know listen not that playing in the nfl or or, or whatever isn't wouldn't have been amazing of course but it, it feels like the work that you're doing now is exactly what you should be doing do you feel that way a hundred percent i mean i was thrown by fate into the area that i'm in now with diversity and inclusion in sports and also just diversity and inclusion in general um i was in the last three months of my PhD in biomedical engineering here um, in Chicago at UIC. Yeah. And that was in 2014, February of 2014, when Michael Sam came out. And that was the day where I came home from the lab. And um, I, I you know, was too busy as a finishing PhD student to, to watch the news. Or that keeps you busy? Yeah, just a, little, just a little bit. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, when I got home from the lab and my roommate's like, hey, did you hear what happened with Michael Sam today? I'm like, no, I know who he is, but I, you know, don't know what happened. And he told me, and he's like, yeah, they're saying he's the first openly gay division one college football player. And my roommate and I just kind of laughed a little bit. And he's like, yeah, you did that a decade ago, right? And I'm like, yeah, how, how interesting. So I went yeah. on Facebook and I saw the human rights campaign and shared a congratulations. And I, I shared that on my wall and just congratulated Michael and wrote a short little blurb about my experience and at, at Nebraska. And um, this whole time I had been getting calls from unlisted numbers, which I don't an answer. And as I, mean, a PhD, I don't answer when my friends call me. So <laughs> exactly. You know, sometimes you got to screen it. But yeah. um, like I realized very quickly once I got a little um, tech savvy and started to send me Facebook messages that it was media and right, they wanted right. to hear my story and my experience. And that forever changed my trajectory on life. Um, I, I spent the next week at home, didn't go into the lab at all. My boss is like, what's going on? I went in and talked with him and told him, hey, this is what's happening. And my goal in life has always been to, to help people. I know I'm on this planet to give back. And I have to honor what is happening right now. So I said I'm postponing my graduation a year. And I started just like it was with first it was just a ton of interviews um through all sorts of media outlets and then it turned into some motivational speaking some consulting with athletics departments and then you know ultimately um starting a organization on inclusion in sport and so it's just i know i was called to do this like when i'm out there speaking to an um like a group of student athletes or doing a workshop for coaches and administrators, 
there are moments where I can be so tired and so just worn out from like all the travel, lack mm-hmm. of sleep, whatever you, whatever it is that day. And I walk out there and I, there are moments where I have out of body experiences where it's like, I don't know how I'm speaking or how I'm <laughs> speaking and how they're responding the way they're responding. But clearly I know that I'm supposed to be doing this because yeah. something is speaking through me at those times. Um, so I, I know for sure I've, I've been called to do this. And so I'm trying in every way I can to do more and more in this area when, you know, it's not always easy. It's, it can be very difficult work at times, but sure. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So it's, it's an easy yes for me to, to stay in it. So forgive me for not knowing this, but what, what's going on with the PhD? Is it still in the back burner? Oh, I'm, I have it. So you, ha- okay. So you finish that. So like what, so how, it's just, I mean, the, the, the sort of like dichotomy of that is so interesting to me. Like, so you got, it's in what chemical engineering you said? Um, chemical engineering was my undergrad and then my PhD was in biomedical engineering. Biomedical. Okay. Yeah. I actually, studied- I'm like pretending like, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. 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 I studied, um, my specialty was in drug delivery to the brain and central nervous system. Wow. So yeah, some nerdy stuff. <laughs> no, do I mean it's not nerdy. It's I, I I could only wish to be a nerd if that's what nerdy means. Yeah, it was fascinating and I I really loved it. Um, but I I had lost some of my passion in that area because of my own health struggles uh-huh. um, and being kind of a guinea pig to Western medicine. And so I believe in more a holistic approach to medicine. Uh, I think our society uses Western medicine a little bit. Um, more than what is necessary at times when we can look at alternatives before jumping to a pill or more pills. Sure, sure. But that's that's me digressing. No, um, please. So I, I love I listen, I love when the pockets gets political, Eric. I mean <laughs> Yeah, so I like I had I mean one thing about my myself now is so I, I had my spinal fusion in college and undergrad, um, which ended football. And since then I've developed a neuromuscular disorder, um, a chronic pain syndrome. So through my PhD, especially early in my PhD, I was really struggling with my health. And um, that's where I was that guinea pig to Western medicine and mm-hmm. sought alternative methods and um, Eastern medicine and stuff. And so by the time I – this whole thing with Michael Sam coming out and then me getting thrown into to the media, by the time that happened, I was already in a way, I think subconsciously, looking for something – larger and something else yeah. because the areas that I was interested in my PhD studies were so narrow and so focused that, yeah, I'm passionate about those areas, but if I wouldn't get a job in that specific area, I would probably have been like, no, I don't want to work in this because it kind of conflicted with my values. Right. Um, so it was the easy to, an easy decision to jump into complete uncertainty into the realm of the unknown and go down, oh, I'm going to be a motivational speaker. I'm going to be a diversity <laughs> yeah. inclusion consultant. You know, things I had never done before, but I just knew that I was supposed to do that. Um, I often heard at the time when I started doing this that from people in the community of, oh, you've done so much for us. Thank you so much. And I always told them, I'm like, you have no idea what you have all done for me. Like mm-hmm. all those scars that I had from growing up, from college, from football, you know, I have thought those had healed, but clearly by going through the process of sharing my experience and trying to educate others, I've realized that those scars were not healed. They may have been, you know, 
closed up a little bit, but they were not healed. And so it was very therapeutic for me and has been to continue to to share my experience and to educate others so that um, other you know fellow student athletes don't have to go through some of the hardships that I went through. Yeah, um, coaches or administrators having to choose between their family or their sport, you know, because of you know can will they be accepted as an openly gay coach? Uh-huh. Will they have an opportunity to move up in the ranks if they are open? Will they get a job at a different university? So it's been a it's been a blessing um, getting to work in the area that I do now. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I mean, getting into that a little bit, we can start talking about Ron Brown. I mean, so when he when you were at Nebraska, what position did he hold? He was um, the receivers coach, right? Um, and tight, he did some stuff with tight ends as well. So what was your relationship with him like then? Did you have one? What was he like to be around? So it's interesting. So I, he was there for my first year, um, as a Husker. So I was a redshirt freshman and I, not only was I, um, you know, playing like a kicker on the team, I was also, I did a lot of, uh, receiver. So scout team receiver and stuff. Okay. So I interacted with him, um, on a regular basis through scout team, um, being, being a receiver and stuff. But then also, uh, through Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I was part of that at the time. Um, and so after games, you know, we'd all go towards center field and pray. And so I had interactions with him both, you know, in prayer and um, playing football. So it was interesting. He was never like I always like to say, um, you know, the way I remember Coach Brown is he always had a smile and he was always very kind. You know, and as a coach, he was he was smart. He knew what he was doing. He was he was confident, and that's what I know of him. Um, he was never rude to me. He never made a mention of my sexuality. Yeah, did, to did me. he? Did he know? Oh, I'm positive he knew. Everyone knew. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know though what conversations he or others had behind closed doors. You know, those are things I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I do know that he is a man of extreme religious convictions. And it, it and, wasn't until like 2012, right, when he really came out with this stuff, sort of when. Yeah. And he, he's, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, basically said that gay people were just evil. Right. I mean, he, he sort of yeah. came out and, and cited a lot of biblical stuff and a lot of really hateful stuff. Yeah, he was um, specifically to listeners. He was talking to the Omaha City Council. They were trying to enact uh, uh, LGBTQ anti-discrimination in the workplace ordinance. And he, though he lived in Lincoln, drove all the way down to Omaha to stand in front of Omaha City Council and basically, you know, go against their anti-discrimination ordinance, which was pretty, pretty crazy. And he also used... um, Memorial Stadium's address as his address of residence. So that was another oh big no-no for him. But that was just, I mean, I, I always like to say in in this story, or, you know, talking about Coach Brown or in any of the work that I do is that, you know, everyone is entitled to their own values and beliefs. You know, that is what really makes them unique and helps create the beautiful diversity within us all. If we all were the same, if we all had the same values and beliefs, it'd be pretty boring, you know. Um, sure. But one doesn't need to compromise their values and beliefs in order to be respectful of others and to implement inclusive behaviors. And so that's where, like, when Coach Brown gets hired back 
um, at Nebraska as a non-coaching position, you know, as director of player development. Right. That's like a big what? Like where does – Where's the logic there? I know. I like, mean, that, I, I think for me, that's that's the worst part about this whole thing. It's like it, it's one thing to to hire somebody, hire somebody back who has some bigoted views that you don't agree with. And like you said, I mean, that's that's sort of a different conversation. But just the title director of player development feels so intimate and so important. I mean, to be sort of mentoring and to be around these young men uh, and to have these views, it's it's kind of scary, right? I mean, he's he's responsible for forming the belief systems of, of a lot of these people and, and to sort of be the face of, of player development is is a little scary. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, like I, I say often is in that position, he needs to have diversity of thought, like period. Yeah, and I mean, that should be like a huge requirement. <laughs> Exactly. He can't bring in his own personal biases into that sort of position to then help dictate, you know, how kids are developing off field. That's just it's insane. It just makes no sense. I mean, I that's why in the article I wrote for for out sports, um, why I posed questions to Nebraska, like, you know, was this ever discussed in the hiring process? Did you ask him? You know, what does inclusion mean to you? <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, these are important things. And like, where I just don't understand why there was such a lack of sensitivity around this hire, like the implications and the optics of it. I mean, this was, this is so much more than just, oh, I hired an, a new person at, as director of player development. I mean, if you look at his past and how outspoken he's been, I mean, in 2012, yeah, that's six years ago. And I don't know what his, personal views are at this moment in time around LGBTQ individuals. Um, I can only speculate. I, my hope is that he'll come out and actually speak for himself instead of, um, being kind of silent on this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, because in reality, when you stay silent on any sort of topic around diversity and inclusion or around any, um, marginalized or untapped group, like when you stay silent on that, th- that silence is experienced as rejection. Right. So he needs to, you know, he kind of, kind of owes it to the larger community, not just the LGBTQ community, to speak on this. Um, I honestly kind of feel like maybe he's being silenced because they don't want him to. Uh huh. Um, yeah. God. I, mean, I I don't know, but he could very well have changed his views in the last six years. I don't know. I'm getting that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to agree with you, but the silence to me speaks volumes. You know, it's like, I I think if in the last six years he had had a change of heart and people were saying, Hey, look at these things you said six years ago, how dare you, you know, be rehired here. If he had sort of mended his mind, I think he would have come out and said, Whoa, actually, yeah, I, I said those things. I don't believe those things anymore. I deserve this job. I apologize for what I said. And hopefully, you know, people can forgive me moving forward. But I think the silence speaks volumes there where it's like, eh, I feel like if, if all these old accusations and old quotes are being brought up and, and you wanted to distance yourself from them, you would do everything in your power to do so. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, it's also interesting because of where he came from before Nebraska. He was at Liberty University. Right, and right. for those who don't know, Liberty is one of the most anti-LGBTQ um, universities, Christian universities in the country, like very outspoken against the LGBTQ community. And so going from that atmosphere back to Nebraska, it's like he was at Nebraska. 
he spoke in front of the Omaha City Council against an um, you know, LGBTQ anti-discrimination in the workplace ordinance. Then he goes to Liberty University. Then he comes back to Nebraska. It's just like mm. you would think that that doesn't really say his journey towards being more inclusive <laughs> is there. <laughs> no, no, not so but, much. But I always want to give the op- the other person or someone the opportunity for growth. I don't ever want to box them into like, okay, this is where they're at and this is where they're always going to be yeah. because everybody starts from somewhere and we have to be respectful of everyone on their journey. Um, so I just hope that like Ron Brown, Husker athletics, especially the Husker football program. Um, and I'll speak to Husker athletics as a whole in a little bit, but I really hope that they look at this as an opportunity for for growth and education because that's what i think this is above you know far far above um anything else well you know what not to cut you off but when when i was reading your story about this you you know what i thought about it was it almost reminded me of sort of like a priest like i remember sitting in church like as a young kid and and you know somebody would be up there talking about sort of you know, very thinly veiled anti-gay stuff. And I remember as a kid sitting there thinking, well, this this man is standing in front of me with authority, so he must be right. You know, people he has power. People are sitting here listening to him. He must be right. Like, I must be wrong. And that's what I imagine these, like, 17, 18-year-old kids coming into Nebraska and Ron Brown is your director of player development. I mean, that sends such a terrible message to somebody who might be working through their sexuality or working through anything, really. I mean, to have that as your figurehead, it's like, okay, well, this is the guy that's in charge. I must be the one who's wrong. Exactly. Um, And I think that speaks to something that I I like to talk about a lot is, you know, being in a position of power. And when we're in athletics in the athletics department, the, the coaches, the administrators, those people are in positions of power over those young student athletes. And so just being in that position, there's already... Um, going to be some reservations about sharing certain things, student athletes sharing certain things about themselves with them um, because they fear, you know, if they share their true identity, will they get the playing time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Something that they've worked their entire lives towards, you know, an ac- uh, athletic scholarship in college, will that be taken away? Will I see the field? Will I get an opportunity? Will I be ostracized, pushed out? So that's where, like, Ron being hired in as director of player development that I think sends a message to a lot of those struggling um, student athletes of, you know, maybe I'm not going to be accepted here. Right. You know, maybe I need to stay silent because uh-huh. I know in the past that this is how he's been and what he's said. And yeah, he may be really nice, you know, out outwardly towards larger larger community, um, like in the athletics department or something, but his own personal values and beliefs are this, and he's been very outspoken about that. So if I share this, what's gonna happen to me? And so that then is gonna create more anxiety, more stress and frustration within that athlete, and it's gonna push them further in the closet. Mm-hmm. And so like right there, that's just, it's a huge macro aggression, you know, hiring someone with such a, you know, sorted past, um, that's, that's a huge macro aggression and that uh, hinders progress. And so that's where it's so important for not only Husker Athletics to continue to speak on this and to address this and to provide continued education around the topics of diversity and inclusion. Um, like it's, I'm just, I'm losing my train of thought here, but no, no, I, no. my mind's going a million miles a minute here. It's just, 
well, I, I was shocked. When I get it. Happened. I mean, I, I, I feel for you so much because it's such a difficult thing coming to grips with the fact that an institution that you love is imperfect because as a Michigan state graduate and a big Michigan state sports fan, it's been a rough couple of years for Michigan state athletics in terms of scandals and, 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 and things happening that really make you question uh, your belief system and question, you know, what this place was doing, this place that you hold so dear. It's, it's a weird thing, especially because it's a college, it's, it's an athletic department. It's a whole thing. So it's, it's tough to like, compartmentalize all that and figure out how to sift through all of that you know so like as a nebraska fan it's got to be hard just to to sort of have faith in this institution that you love so much definitely and like one thing that's hard for me is i know that the hiring of ron brown isn't really negating all the amazing work that they the athletics department does around diversity and inclusion, especially yeah. LGBTQ inclusion. Um, I think oftentimes at these big powerhouse universities, football kind of stands alone um, in the athletics department. And they kind of are allowed in some ways, which I don't necessarily agree with, to do whatever they want to do. And um, it's, I think that's, that's horrible in a way because they aren't looking at the implications of what that does to the rest of the athletic um, um, department and yeah. the university and everything else. And so like Nebraska as a whole, the University of Nebraska and the athletics department, they were one of the founding members for the organization that myself and um, my friend and fellow co-founder Nevin Capel started, um, which is LGBT Sports Safe. Yep. And so Nebraska was one of those founding members. and. I have seen them drastically change from the time I was there in 2003 until now. Like they, at the time when I was there, they wanted to push me under a rug and keep me silent. And they didn't know what to do with someone who was openly gay um, in the athletics department. And then through years of trying to get them involved in something and, and start the conversation, things finally started to happen, you know, um, about four and a half, five years ago. And now they have an annual diversity inclusion, um, summit and myself and Nevin have both spoken at that on different times. We've done inclusion in sports trainings there. They actively work with the LGBTQ resource center there with Pat Tutreau, a friend of mine, and they're doing a lot of great work. And, but then at the same time, then the football program, in, you know, out goes the old administration and in comes a, a new new coaching staff. And all of a sudden they just they completely, I don't know, disregard in some ways. Yeah. Uh, the values that Nebraska athletics kind of has on some ways. I mean, mm-hmm. Nebraska, when, when I've been there, they they always say they share these common values around diversity, and inclusion of respect, acceptance and unity. And those are those three key elements um, of their values. And it just kind of was a slap in the face to a lot of, um, Husker fans, um, when Ron was hired without an explanation deeper, you know, a deeper explanation as to why considering what he said in the past. Yeah. Like, they mean, address it. If they, they talk about it, if he addresses it and that, that would make the situation much better. But with, with the silence, on the topic, it's been pretty difficult. I mean, I know at Big Ten Media Days, um, 
Coach Frost was asked about it and and whatnot, and he was pretty, um, I don't know, pretty concise and short in his response. Mm-hmm. And I personally spoke with him for a while at Big Ten Media Days, um, twice actually there while I was there, and. I mean, he assured me that, you know, he's not going to allow discrimination of any kind in his program and that diversity and inclusion is important to him. It's just. Well, talk is one thing. I'll, yeah, talk is one thing. Like, at the end of the day, we, we need to see some, some more action. And um, this is where there's that incredible opportunity. You know, this is where mm-hmm. I know I know they're having a, they're struggling this season. I know it's a rebuilding year, as they say. I wasn't going to bring it up, Eric, but <laughs> since you have, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, they're rebuilding. Let's just say that. <laughs> Ooh, boy, slowly. But, yeah, um, a rough start for for Husker football this year. Yeah. But I, I hope that um, moving forward, whether it's can, this season or directly after this season they tackle this this issue a little bit more. They dive deeper into building a, a more inclusive, um, I should say, football program there mm-hmm. and I, and have some training. Yeah, so I mean, have, has there been any response from anybody within the athletic department directly to you? I assume you haven't heard from Coach Brown, but I mean, has there been any response uh, from anybody at Nebraska? I mean, like I said, I've talked with Coach Frost, even uh, at said that you know he without me even offering it he said i'd love to have you come and speak with our with our football team and um, coaches sometime so i don't know if that is something that will happen in the future i i sure hope so i have actively talked with um uh, people in the academics and life skills program Mm -hmm. um, multiple times about this so like the conversations are ongoing yes i have not had a conversation yet with coach brown I'm still hopeful that that is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do know they have a lot that's on their plate right now, <laughs> considering their really horrible start to the season with, um, yeah, zero wins and five losses so far. Yeah, I mean, not ideal. I mean, you hope for a better start than that. Yeah, I mean, considering Husker football is one of the all-time winningest programs to to be at where they're at right now is i'm sure difficult for them but they'll get back they'll be fine i mean do you just i mean outside of the conversation we're having right now i mean do you do you like coach frost for for the gig i i do i think uh he he brings this this knowledge of husker football and nebraska the state of nebraska um that other coaches that either didn't play there or didn't you know ever coach there um they don't have that sort of aspect that sort of mindset i think he gets it um so i think i think that's extremely important i think he's one like my my interactions with coach frost i really do think he's a great guy and he Mm -hmm. really does care about his his athletes and he's going to do his best to um to help them grow into the best human beings they can be on and off the field. So I think he's a great person for the position. Yeah. And seeing what he did at Central Florida, um, I, I think that's something Nebraska definitely needs at the time. They've been struggling, and I think the fans in Nebraska are very impatient when it comes yeah. to whether well, we're going to win or not. <laughs> yeah, like you so. said, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day about uh, just states where collegiate sports rule, like we were talking about Alabama, um, but it, I think it applies to Nebraska as well. Like you said, no major sports team. So, you know, Nebraska athletics, it's like when the football team is down, there's nothing else to look to. Exactly. I mean, we have Nebraska volleyball, 
Oh, okay. Yes, you're right. I'm, I do apologize. But then again, Nebraska volleyball isn't – volleyball, even though there's so many fans for Husker volleyball. And I know. Volleyball, I, 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 I do know general, Volleyball is not the powerhouse that that football is. It just football kind of is one of those sports here in America that really, really dictates a lot of mm-hmm. what is viewed, what is talked about in and among sports. So, yeah, definitely um, Husker football is the topic of pretty much every sports radio station in and around the state of oh, Nebraska. Man, I imagine that's not very fun to listen to right now. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I uh, I hope for good things down the road. As long as you don't beat Michigan State later this year for your only win of the year, uh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so, uh, that's funny. Yeah, well, you know what? It could happen. Uh, not, We're not looking great either. Uh, so to move on to uh, to the stuff you're doing now, I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit, but LGBT Sports Safe, can you, can you discuss a little bit more about the stuff you're doing with, with them and, and the progress that you've made since starting? Yeah, so LGBT Sports Safe, we are, you know, we're an organization that really helps um, grow infrastructures of inclusion within college and professional athletics. So we work on, um, we use a model called the three-peat model where we address the importance of programming, policy, and public awareness initiatives. Okay. Uh, we found kind of a way, a unique way to make diversity and inclusion in sports um, kind of competitive. So, you know, no one in sports wants to to be seen as less than their opponent or whatnot. So what we do is we, we kind of go in and we assess the athletics department around where they stand with policy programming and public awareness initiatives. And then we award them a medallion, gold, silver, or bronze based of their, based off of their level of inclusivity mm. um, to show externally to the larger community and to potential recruits, um, coaches, administrators, whatnot, that this is a place where you can be loved and accepted. And so it's really, it's really cool and unique because, you know, one institution sees, Oh my gosh. So we're a silver um, medallion, um, you know, status, the other one's gold. How do we get to gold? So it's kind of helped push them towards, you know, we want to, they already want to be better, mm-hmm. but uh, our program's kind of tailored to help translate their good intentions into action. And it's something that, you know, is ongoing. So with like programming, we go into the athletics department and we'll do a full day, sometimes two days of programming where we sit down and have workshops with all their coaches and administrators. We discuss coaches' roles on created a, creating an athletic um, team or environment of inclusion. We discuss some of the challenges around um, LGBTQ inclusion in sports. We d- talk about you know interteam dating, the intersection of race, religion, and sexual orientation, um, what to do with an athlete who comes out, you know, and a slew of other topics. Um, then we also work on inclusive policies. So we help. Uh, develop and implement these inclusive policies within the athletics department so that uh, all their student athletes are being valued and respected and have also protections um, if ever needed. Mm -hmm. And then we work on, like I said, public awareness initiatives. So making sure that they are showing to the public and to their student athletes in the community that they value inclusion and they're there for everyone. So whether that's a um, like a pride night or inviting a speaker to campus or a panel discussion or something, um, that's kind of the area of public awareness that we look at. So I love it's, that. It's a lot of fun. Um, we've we launched in June of 2016, so we're a little over two years old. We're still pretty young. Um, we have 
around 40 full members, uh, like meaning athletic departments that are part of the LGBT Sports Safe Inclusion Program. Mm-hmm. But we actively work with well over 100 institutions on just trying to either get them on board, just work behind the scenes on stuff that they're working on, um, also some pro teams and leagues. And so it's incredibly rewarding stuff uh, to get to do and to go in and have some of these difficult conversations, you know, meet in that messy middle and find common ground um, is incredibly rewarding. I go in sometimes with, um, sometimes with Nevin, sometimes by myself, and there are um, people who have big reservations around talking about this. Mm-hmm. Because historically, we haven't had these conversations in, in sports. And as we mentioned multiple times throughout this conversation, being silent, you know, that's being experienced as rejection by someone who identifies as LGBTQ. Yeah. And so getting them to just kind of practice inclusion and talking about this really helps break that ice. And then they realize that they have um, support in and amongst themselves um, outside of the support that myself and Nevin give them. They can go and talk then with a fellow coach or administrator about um, a challenge they've had around inclusion in sport. And so that's what's incredibly beautiful um, once we leave campus, seeing how how much more open-minded the athletics department is and then how much we help unsilo the athletics department to then work with other departments on campus, maybe the LGBTQ Resource Center, the Women's Center, the Multicultural Center, um, to really work towards creating that um, holistic approach to inclusion. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a, a blessing to get to do this work. What, what sort of institutions or people have sort of impressed you the most since you've been doing this? Oof. Not I mean, to put I you on the do, spot or anything. Yeah, I mean, I will always speak to the work that um, our three founding institutions have done. So Nebraska, Northwestern, and Oregon, mm-hmm. because that really sticks out uh, you know, the most, I think, like whether it's Nebraska doing their annual diversity inclusion um, symposium to Northwestern doing uh, every year they do a LGBTQ plus ally um, kickball game where it's coaches versus student athletes and they invite anyone to come and watch and, you know, have some food, have some fun cool. and just discuss inclusion and why everyone should be accepted. And I know Northwestern, they also do these things called listening sessions where the student athletes, um, every month they pick a topic of what they want to discuss. And then anyone can go up and talk for two minutes about this sort of topic with, um, you know, uninterrupted topic. And then they have an open discussion at the end to Oregon with a lot of the work they do around inclusion. There's just a lot of great stuff happening, um, in the area of diversity inclusion in sports around the country. But then also some institutions have surprised me. Um, like we've spoken in the last year, we've been to like Florida state and West Virginia and these are, and to university of South Carolina, all those three institutions right there are huge institutions. Um, you know, athletic powerhouses, and they've been, I think, historically looked at as being extremely conservative because yeah. of where they are in the country. And there are some incredible people on these campuses in their athletics departments who value inclusion and are working tirelessly to show up for all their student athletes. And so every time I go to a campus like that or to any campus and to see these people behind the scenes working tirelessly to show up for every every student athlete um, is really um, beautiful. And 
kind of warms my heart knowing that there are people that are there for these struggling either student athletes or coaches because yeah. I don't feel like I had that when I was a student athlete. So to see people that are actively working towards a common goal of inclusion and to see um, athletics depart- athletic departments at these institutions valuing inclusion and inviting us in, that's huge. Oh, and it's, it's, it's continu- gigantic. Yeah, and it's going to continue to be more and more and it's going to continue to grow and the world of athletics is going to be more inclusive uh, you know, moving forward. And the beautiful thing about working in sports to make it more inclusive is that it has kind of a ripple effect throughout society. You know, we saw with like Jackie Robinson, the integration of baseball that helped, you know, change a lot of pop culture to be more inclusive and yeah. to open their minds and um, plant the seed around, you know, breaking that that color barrier. And so we, we see this um, throughout sports and how it can be used as a vehicle for, for social change. And that's why I'm um, so proud to, to do the work that I do now. I never once thought I'd be doing the work I do, yeah. you know, six years ago in the middle of my PhD. Never thought this is where I'd be. <laughs> and I wouldn't ask for any other, other anything else. Yeah, I know. I think about that all the time. It's like if you can change a, a sports fan's mind in the South, you know, you can you can you can change anybody's mind. You know, if you can get sports fans to sort of come on board for inclusion, I think everybody else will follow. So I think it's I think, you know, the progress that you've made and just and that people have been making in general speaks volumes to uh, to how, you know, how, how far things have come and, and the progress that's been made. Long way to go, obviously. But I think, you know, because of people like you and because of athletes who have come out, I, I think those barriers are starting to break down. And I think the sports world is, is really such an interesting, great place for a lot of those discussions to, to start. I completely agree. Uh, Thank well, you so much for that. Oh, oh, of course. Well, Eric, this has been awesome. Has it been fun for you? Of course, it's always fun. <laughs> I love this work. Yeah, I know. Well, listen, I, I I can't tell you how much you appreciate your time, and then also all the work you're doing. It's it's so important. And once you get in there and and chat with uh, Coach Frost and maybe Coach Brown and chat with the Huskers and turn their season around, uh, we'll have to have you back and talk about how that went. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And um, I just want to say, anyone who's listening, if if you know of anyone in athletics or any athletic institution who, you know, values inclusion or you think could um, benefit from our program, feel free to reach out. You know, you can reach out to me, Eric, at LGBT SportsSafe, or go to our website, um, LGBTSportsSafe.com, or find me on social media. It's just at Eric Lucian um, throughout the board or at LGBT SportsSafe, because I think together we can really help create a more inclusive athletics community. So I just have to do that shameless plug, but no, not shameless through word of mouth that spread. (laughs) Listen, that's the whole, that's the whole point of this podcast is to, uh, is to help with stuff like that. So I'm, I'm happy to help. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. What a beautiful place to end. I hope people get in touch with you. Thank you so much. Uh, well, thank you, Eric. I really appreciate your time. I feel like, uh, this is not the, uh, the last time the two of us will correspond. I hope not. I hope not. I look forward to chatting more in the future. And there you have it. Thank you very much to Eric for the time. Like Eric was saying, if you are passionate about the things that he is passionate about, get in touch with him. 
Find him on social media. Find LGBT Sports Safe and connect because it's very, very important. We'll monitor the Ron Brown Nebraska situation very closely. And oh, for Eric's sake, I hope Nebraska gets a win this season. All right, I'm sick. I'm getting off of here. Thank you for listening. Until next time.